0: No oh, sucker more than meets the eye. <laughs> you suck toes, Brad?
1: No. I mean oh, no. An not an anymore. Emphatic.
0: <laughs> an emphatic no. Goodness. What do you mean toe. not anymore? Sucked a
1: to toe or two
0: <laughs> in the heat of the moment. <laughs> but not on the rag. Uh not on the rag. What Neither. year? What's the last what's give me a year the last time you sucked a to toe? <laughs> It's like an eighties or like, or no, like a no. fun, uh, a fun mom and dad date night, like, like four years ago where you well, guys just went too hard.
1: It wouldn't be considering <laughs> that the nineties were my big years for, you know,
0: toe sucking
1: for that kind of fun stuff. It
0: would been... pants and toe sucking,
1: but, uh,
0: I don't know. All right. Can I share with you a tweet, <laughs> a tweet that Nicki Minaj wrote? Oh no. I have to No, it's too funny. Okay. It's not funny. It is funny. It says my cousin in Trinidad won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was weeks (laughs) away from getting married. Now the girl called (laughs) off the wedding. So just pray on it and make sure you're comfortable with your decision. Not Uh, bullied. So I just read this and I don't know if I'm a skeptic maybe i am but this sounds like her cousin's friend had an std yes <laughs> like of some sort where you know like it was probably a dirty dog yes got an std oh, got yeah. swollen testicles yes and then said oh is my vaccine yes made and- my testicles swollen and then then they tell one friend and they tell one friend yeah and then before you know it 26 million twitter followers are hearing this no. tale it's
1: very irresponsible <laughs> it's so irresponsible and it,
2: it
1: it's so hard because the truth is the people that are going to read that and believe it deserve to get covid and die i'm sorry Whoa! it's called darwinism it's been around since the beginning of the earth And there's a reason for it. But unfortunately, there's probably some people scattered in there who will end up paying the price for that insanity.
0: If we believed in Darwinism like that, though, you know, people not much smaller than you were getting discarded into the (laughs) well, you know, not too long before. (laughs) They weren't big enough to fight.
1: The court jester?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well... Steve Caballero came on the
1: podcast. Yes, we did manage to get him on. It's uh, we had some technical issues, so it's it's not the best sounding podcast. But I have to say that as the engineer, but it's it's the, the content is is what all that counts. The content. It was counts. great.
0: It was <laughs> great to talk to him. I was uh, this is one of those people I was intimidated by. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's like. This is just one of those names that I've been, ever since I got into skateboarding, I've seen this name and I've seen this image. And that was a long time ago. It was like 30 Mm. plus years ago. So, you know, this guy's been in my uh, general narrative for three-fourths of my life, which is wild, you know?
1: Well, and Um, he's he's a a fucking pioneer. I mean, there's like there's a handful of guys who started skateboarding and he's one of those guys. Like,
0: yeah, it's, he kept talking about it and I know it was a weird reference to make in the podcast, but (laughs) I kept thinking of George Mikan, who is like the original big man in the NBA, you know, who like invented like all this different stuff that's used in the NBA. Literally when you uh, do a right hand layup to a left hand layup practicing, it's called the Mikan drill. You know, the guy literally invented this drill and, you know, he's like, not to say Steve Cab is a, you know, he's a very well-known name in skateboarding, but it's becoming this like, yeah, I think, uh, when you go to the, the history of certain sports or certain cultural things, there's going to be these like bedrock names, you know, and between him inventing those tricks and then, you know, uh, you know, the half cab and, you know, which is, I literally bought, uh, his shoe for my son who's five, (laughs) you know what I mean? They still make them and they're still cool. And, um, so yeah, just kind of legendary status as far as that stuff goes. And I didn't bring it up in the interview because he has, uh, through my research, I've seen that he has extensively talked about, you know, the process of, you know, getting signed to vans and developing the, the, the you know, Caballero shoe. Um, but apparently it was, I, I hadn't realized the original version of the cabs were high tops. Mm. And people were actually like chopping the shoe down. What? Yeah, and like duct taping the top of Ah. it and modifying the shoe. (laughs) I did not know that. And it became such a regular thing that people were doing that he suggested to the company that, like, hey, like, why don't we make it half the size because people are doing it anyway? And that was the advent of the half cap. Wow. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's big history. I was trying to be unique. A unique podcast host and maybe get into some things he hasn't talked about a gajillion times. So I didn't bring that up in the interview, but I thought it was very interesting. It is. Steve is a very gracious person, very friendly and nice. Uh, All reports of this guy are are very kind. And
1: Before we get started, we got to give a big shout out here to Joe Sib, who hooked us up with the mystery friend.
0: And I couldn't help but notice... Like, you know, Joe Sibb's one of the Californians I know pretty intimately. Mm-hmm. They have the same accent. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I hear it. I don't know if it's like that era of Californian skateboarder. Yeah. They all, they all got the same rap. <laughs> and it's fun. I like it. It's very it's very infectious, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's hella tight. It's <laughs>
1: totally hella. <Ugh.
3: laughs>
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: All right, let's get into this. Let's do it. It's going on track! Steve, I know you're a father you got a bunch of kids over there what is it three well i have two kids i have okay. an older
2: daughter that's in sacramento so i have two two young kids uh 12 and 14
0: okay so as you know well i got a five and a four-year-old over here i'm in like the first you know week of school back it's like almost eight thirty at night so i'm in basketball shorts you know like sure. you know i think it's fair at this point right
2: Oh, yeah. I, I've been there, done that. So I'm I'm feeling for you right now.
0: <laughs> How is it? I know, I know, you know, when you're a father of kids my age, you always think like things are getting easier in time. But it seems like it just comes with with pretty new new difficulties, right? What's easier? Yeah. Little, little kids or the, the
2: age you have? Um, you know, it's all perspective. And it's also all about um personality uh depends on depends on who you're talking about (laughs) right um i'll just tell you one thing the daughters have been a little bit more difficult than the son okay interesting um yeah they they're a little a little bit more have been a little bit more strong-willed as i can describe it
0: (laughs) right
1: is that your experience too brad Ah, my daughter was a breeze, man. My daughter was born first, and like, I, you know, your first kid, it's everything's difficult. You think it's like the hardest thing in the world, and it was literally the easiest thing in the world compared to my son and Mm. everybody else's kid.
2: (laughs) I would, I would say, probably the hardest part with my oldest daughter was when she was in her teens, where she really didn't want to have anything to do with me or listen to any right. of my advice right. um with that stage that was probably the toughest um that's all changed now that she's a lot older and i feel wanted and loved again so and <laughs>
0: right
2: yeah so you know i I, I, it, I guess it all goes in stages but um having kids have have never it's never put a damper on me being a parent or like if I ever get remarried again, I I wouldn't mind having more kids because I, I love oh, kids. Cool.
0: Oh. Is that something like, you know, with the the world you were in, did it take a lot of uh adjusting to put yourself into like a a parenthood mindset? Or are you one of those people who kind of just um rolled right into it?
2: I you know what, I pretty much roll with everything that I I, I get, you know, include myself in and you know, I, I think for me as an entertainer, as an athlete, as someone who is is has a profession where I have to travel all the time, right. I have to make time for my job. I, I think it's been tough for the wives that I've married because one of my complaint of, you know, my first wife, she used to say, like, you know, we got married and... You know, I thought you were going to change, but you're still the same. Mm. You know, yes. and I'm like, wait, isn't that a good thing? Like, <laughs> Right. You know I, mean? I
0: mean, classic, but, classic mistake, right? Going into it. What yeah. Was- so, hoping. you know. Yeah, sure.
2: Um, you know, it's a balance. It's a balance um, being a parent and being a husband versus being um, some a celebrity and someone in the public eye where I, You know, I have to, I'm getting pulled from left and right, all different places. And, and, you know, I work for a living. That's what I do. You know, it's not all fun and games. And, you know, I've given these women a luxurious life to just not work.
1: Mm. And
2: here I am working. And I'm not saying like being a mother and being a housekeeper is not work. I'm just saying go and clock in and do that at the same time. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean they, they expected me to do what I do and then all of a sudden be daddy homemaker, you know, and, and and take over, you know, when I came home. But, you know, my when I come home from traveling doesn't mean my work ends, you know. And is it the same as me?
0: I know like from my experience, you know, you come home from a tour, especially something, you know, with a significant amount of time, and it's really It's like a headspace thing. It's like really difficult to transition back into a, you know, wake up early, um, grind it day to day kind of lifestyle when you're out there living that very separate lifestyle. It almost takes like an adjustment every time. Was was that an issue for you as well with the skateboard traveling?
2: Not really. I meant, you know, like, My previous wife, you know, used to be like, okay, you're done from your tour. You're done from a contest. Now it's your turn to take over. Right. right. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, take over? Like, (laughs) are you you on vacation now (laughs) or something? I'm home. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So that's the struggles, you know? And that's just part of, like I said, being a celebrity. Um, I think when someone who is attracted to our celebrity and fame, it, they have to realize that that doesn't stop as soon as you get married and have kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they forget that, you know? So if I ever, w- am ever to get married again, I, I have to reassure this person to say, Hey, my life's not going to change because we're married. And two, you know, you don't go on vacation when I come home you know, you know, if you're going to start a family with me, then be dedicated to be a family person, you know, right, right, right. And, and um, so, you know, it's just, that's just a person. those are just personal issues. And yeah, for sure. It's it a common, your-
1: it is a common thing though. I mean, especially, you know, Benny and I are both musicians and I've definitely seen what you were talking about happening. you know, especially when we were all younger where, you know, one of the guys, marries this girl who was attracted to the drummer in the band. And then she's like, why are you still the drummer in the band, dude? Like, aren't we, are we going to like go on and, and, have, and have our nice little life together, you know? But it, yeah. it happens on the other side too. You know, I've seen plenty of celebrity situations where, you know, you knew you were marrying a diva, dude. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Um, exactly like i had a really great conversation with this uh, very famous artist from la named robert robert vargas mm. we were in uh in Bay Ritz, france for this uh show called wheels and waves and we were sitting down talking we're talking about women and stuff and he's like you know cab he's like we marry these women who are attracted to our fame and fortune and then as soon as we get together to them they start resenting the same thing that they're attracted to.
1: Mm.
2: It's like, what, what's up with that? You know, they get jealous because we're, we're traveling and, 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 and in the limelight and, and their home taking care of the house and the kids, which they signed up for,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know? I mean, if you're going to sign up for that, go, go all the way, you know, I'm still doing my job. I'm still doing what it takes to f- put food on the table and to put a roof over your house, your head, you know? Um, So, you know, I believe there's women out there. I mean, I, I, sometimes I get envious. I'll go to the track and I'll see uh, these girlfriends and wives just hanging out and guys are riding the track and they're out there supporting them. And I'm like, man, it'd be so rad to have a, a moto girlfriend, a moto wife just sitting there, just supporting their, their guy or, you know, anyone anyway, at a contest or, or even like these guys in bands where you guys, you know, go on tour for months and, and, and the wife is there at home taking care of the home front. You know, um, I, I got a hand it to guys in bands that, that go away for a long time and they have such a supportive wife or girlfriend back home. It's, it's amazing. And well, I know I mean, they're out there. Yeah. I, out I think
0: home. at this point, I mean, if you're, uh a full time touring musician who has a family at home I mean it can't even function without like a rock at the house. you know what i mean like you can't you can't do it without it. you would have to stay home and it's uh it's a critical job, and I think that's where the biggest challenges I think are like you know communicating exactly what's expected of people and what can be uh, how far people can go. Because, you know, just because someone uh, takes on that role doesn't mean they're like, all right, this is going to be me forever. Because I guess guess the idea is if we don't have to change, but they do, right? Like if you're going to stay home and you used to be someone who chilled with all the skateboarders, went to the spots, chilled at the motocross spot, But now you want to have like kids in the house and you got to get lunches ready and do like all the shit they have to change. And we don't a little. So like, I I think there's got to be some kind of, you know, compensation the other way. Right.
2: Oh, believe me. I mean, I've, I've, I've changed a lot and I've changed diapers and, and, and made lunches (laughs) and and, uh, brought kids to school and picked them up and took kids to, uh, BMX racing and, and take them to the skate park and take them to the beach and take them to oh. church. I've done, I've done the dad thing. You know, I, I haven't been the guy that did, ha- didn't want to participate.
0: Oh yeah. You look like super dad on Instagram. like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
2: like. <laughs> I've, I've tried, you know, I've tried, but um, you know, it's my bad. It's my bad for not uh, preparing and, and letting these women know like, Hey, this is the deal. And it was just under my assumption that they knew but you right. you know you can't always assume that someone's going to actually understand so it you know i now, now i know from experience that if like if i ever do get in another relationship and which will probably not be for a long time because now with this band and who knows where this is going i may go on tour
0: right you know, so yeah.
2: it's like it's like one of those things where I don't know if I want to have a girlfriend. I don't know if I want to have a wife right now because I want to have that freedom to be able to play my guitar and tour with the rest of the guys. Well,
0: I mean, you seem to have like a a number of different ways that you can put your attention between the, you know, the art and the skating and the music. Um, I mean, is that how urethane uh, came to pass? Was you were just uh, in the pandemic and had a, you know, need to to get something else going or was this something you had in the pocket for a while?
2: Um, well, you know, I, I, don't know if you know, I, have been in this band called the faction for sure. Yeah. Many, many years from 1982 to 85 was the, 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 the run that we had and then broke up and then, you know, we spent a couple of years apart and regroup and spent a couple of years apart, regroup. So we regrouped about three, four times from 1985. And, right before the uh, pandemic hit, I call, I said, I want to call it quits with the band. Cause I just felt like it was very stagnant. You know, mm. I felt like playing the same songs over and over in my fifties when we wrote them, when I was 17,
0: <laughs> Right. you yeah. know,
2: and I just wanted, I wanted to grow as a musician and I wanted to start something new down here in North County and San Diego area. So I told the guys that I'm only playing a couple more shows and, and that's it. I don't want to Where play
0: Where me. were the faction guys living?
2: Um. Well, our, 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 actually our guitar player lived in Vegas. Oh, um, okay. Our drummer lived in Sacramento and our bass player and singer lived in San Jose and I'm in wow. San Diego. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, we didn't get together. We never practiced. We just kind of like, played along to the CD and then here, we're going to do this set list and, and let's, let's meet, let's meet somewhere and, and, and do a show. So that was fun for a while, but you know, like I said, I wanted to grow as an, as a musician. So I started a new band down here um, in the meantime. And, you know, before the pandemic hit, I was actually playing with this other band for about a year um, I was playing bass, I was a guitar player and a drummer, and we wrote about nine or ten songs, and then we were looking for a singer, right? so I put a little uh, post on Instagram letting everyone know, hey, I got this new band going, we don't have a name yet, but I'm looking for a singer, uh, anybody want to try out? And I got a lot of calls, I got a lot of emails, texts, and finally I got this text message from this guy, Tim lives in Carlsbad and he played me a demo and I fell in love with it and oh. I shared that, it with,
0: with the that band. Was his band, War Fever? That's his band?
2: Yeah, so Tim was a guitar player for War Fever but he was working on a solo project oh, okay. by himself which had him writing all the songs, the whole songs and also singing which he didn't do much singing in War Fever. Okay. Hmm. So I brought the demo to band practice and said, Hey, this guy reached out and I I really like his singing and I want him to try out for the band. But the response that I got wasn't the response that I, that I was, you know, that I wanted from these guys. Right. And they, they just, they seemed very disinterested in Tim and the style of music that he was writing. So, I had to make a really big choice and decide to leave this band that I was jamming with for a year to join oh, wow. with Tim and
0: and move forward with him. And so You just had that strong of an instinct about Tim and his
2: songs? Well, I did, you know, because I know what it is. I've been in so many bands and I've seen so many bands and, you know, a singer makes or breaks the band. I don't care how good you are as a musician. I don't care how good the The back line is, but if the singer's terrible, then the whole band's terrible.
0: (laughs) Sure,
2: you know I do,
0: I do very well actually.
2: (laughs) And singers, you know, they're they're hard to come by. Good singers come by. So I did not want to pass up on Tim, and I felt really strong about his voice, about his songwriting, and it was like music I I liked, you know. Um, So I made that choice, and I, I think it was a very wise choice because you know we're not even a year into it we have a, uh, an album being released on cybertrack records um, on september 24th and we we ha- we would not even be a band for a whole year yet i wouldn't even know these guys for a whole year and we have an mm. album coming out so what is t- like when you
0: started writing with urethane rewriting were you now working on uh, you know the demos tim had sent you or all brand new stuff the demos that Tim had
2: sent. Cool. You know, I wanted to, um, I liked his songs and I wanted to work with him to, uh, either rearrange them or add some, you know, add my flavor to them. Sure. But I wanted to use what he had wrote as a, as a basis because, you know, uh, they went really well with, with his, uh, his mute, the music he was writing. Right. And, you know, I, I, I thought it would be a lot more difficult to have Tim come in to a group that had ten songs already written without any lyrics. You know, I, th- mm. I think I think uh, you know, I was, I was talking to uh, to Jim from Pennywise, and he's like, he's like, don't let Fletcher fool you. You know, I wrote a lot of those songs on those Pennywise albums, and I didn't even know Jim could play guitar. Huh. You know, interesting. And, uh, yeah, it is interesting because I thought Fletcher wrote everything.
0: <laughs> right i did you too know? actually yeah
2: so um you know it, it's 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 really important that that the singer has some kind of uh talent on a guitar or bass because that that's help that helps write great songs that's right you know melodies least, yeah.
0: yeah you need you need, or at least a unique voice a melody something yeah yeah totally.
2: so um you know that and that's how this band started you know and um with with I met I met Tim at a coffee shop and I really you know because I normally when I meet people for the very first time I kind of like meet them at a coffee shop I don't just invite them to my house because I'm like okay I don't want to <laughs> invite some weird over and like, right. <laughs> you
0: know, that's right. yeah right right yeah it's but yeah it's like the rules of dating right like first <laughs> you're not going out to like dinner and a movie. Exactly. You no, know, someone you met on MySpace for the first time or something. Yeah. It's a little much. A little yeah. much. Yeah. So, so so I guess the 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 exchange at the coffee shop was not weird.
2: No, it wasn't weird. And <laughs> he came off like one of the coolest dudes, really humble. That's cool. You know, very, very well mannered, just nice, smart, friendly. And I'm like, this guy is awesome. Like cool. I I could start a really cool band with this guy. This is guy's going to be really easy to work with. He's professional. You know, he's just a, you know, it's, it's, it's very important when you're in a band that you get along with the people in the band. doesn't matter. Like I said, how, how good of a musician you are. If you can't hang out with each other, um, it is, it's not going to last.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like he's a good worker too. I mean, I, I just had a, a an experience. I just went and played music with people I've known for you know twenty plus years. Good musicians, but I've never played with them before. Mm-hmm. And you know, get in a room. Everything was good. But one of the most reassuring parts of this project was that I get home and within two days. You know the the three demos we had done in studio. Now had another batch with guitars over it. Now had another batch of vocals over it. Yeah, and that was just like an indication. I'm like, oh, good. Like, there's a worker in this band too. Like, right. who's real focus. Someone who's working. Someone who's right. Riff- and it's not going to tick without that either. You know, it sounds like Tim is a uh, a pretty prolific writer and worker too, which is cool.
2: No, he's... on Everybody in the band, uh, Chad, our bass player, he's the singer for Skipjack. Right. San Diego band that's been playing for years. Um, And our drummer, Dylan, he was a drummer for the Bomb Pops when they first started. Right. Um, But they're they're all very hard workers. They're professional. They're on time. They're prompt. Um, They're serious. Like, these guys are like, I would have to say the easiest guys to work with. And there's no weak link in this band. Like we all have contributed our, 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 our influences, um, our connections, like everybody in this band has booked two or three shows this, this, this year. That's impressive. And we have, we have a booking agent. So, we have a booking agent working for us. I'm booking shows. Tim's booking shows. Chad, Dylan, we're all getting these shows like thrown at us. And that's why we have so many shows now because right. everyone's putting in, you know, the work and it's paying off, you know.
0: That's unique. That's really unique. Yeah. It is
2: unique, you know, and, uh, and you know, I, I would never be in this, this situation if I hadn't made that choice of leaving that other band.
0: Right. Yeah. Bold move. Um, it was. So what came first for you, the skateboard or the guitar?
2: <laughs> That's funny. Um, a lot of guys ask that. that. Um, skateboarding, definitely. I picked up a skateboard when I was 12. Okay. Um, I didn't pick up a guitar or a bass until I was like 17.
0: And I was yeah. like, when I was getting into skateboarding, uh, you know, this is, you know, now we're talking like mid-90s is when I was getting into it. But, um, you know, there was a very an obvious connection between skateboarding and music the second I discovered it. Actually, I think music almost led me into skateboarding. Now, back then, was it the same? Was there already this uh, really strong tie between local music and your scene and the skateboarding scene?
2: Well, skateboarding. So I, I grew up in Northern California. I grew up in San Jose. I lived on the East South side, of San Jose, mm-hmm. which Was predominantly um, African American and and, and Hispanic. Um, The music choice back there in the seventies, mid seventies, was either R and B, soul, or disco. Okay, Um, rock (laughs) was definitely not part of the agenda there. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, There was a group of, of, of guys that would hang out in the quad. We called them the Stoners okay and they they you could tell that they they smoked cigarettes and and drank beer and listened to rock you know okay Um, but that wasn't the choice of music where i where i grew up you know so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until i traveled to the other side of town in about 20 minutes from me in campbell which was predominantly caucasian okay um and that's where the skate parks were being built and once i went to the skate park There was ghetto blasters playing with, with music and the music choice was rock and roll. Okay. No, I would have never listened to rock and roll where I live because it just wasn't part of my heritage or, or or who, you know, who I was hanging out with.
0: How you grew up. Yeah. So what, so what's coming out of the ghetto blasters at that, those years? Dude, ACDC cheap trick and Aerosmith. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. And
2: I'm please. like yeah. as soon as I left the skate park, I'm like, Mom, take me to Tower Records. Right. I'm buying, right. I'm buying my first cassette. And, like, what were, and what were
0: what were your parents listening to? Like what was that was the music uh, in the neighborhood. What was the music in the house?
2: Well, probably Spanish music. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> or uh might might have been like um uh johnny cash okay um jim croce the beatles um my older brother listened to like stuff like america the eagles so i was you know i was kind of you know attracted to that folky type okay type of music you know um bob, maybe bob dylan um the beatles for sure okay. um not rock and roll not rock and roll, not hard rock, you know, yeah, not, right. my, my brothers, my dad would never listen to ACDC or cheap trick or, <laughs> Aerosmith, you know? Yeah. So when I left the skate park, I'm like, I'm buying those cause that's what skateboarders listen to. I want to be a skateboarder. I want to fit in. I want to be cool. So that's the type of music I started listening to. And uh-huh. then as I went to the skate park, I started hearing the music change a little bit and it went from like rock and roll. To like New Wave. Oh, and I started okay. hearing bands like Gary Newman, Devo, huh. Missing Persons, Um, B52s. And right. I'm like, oh, what's this? New, you know, oingo boingo. Like I was I was hearing these like this different style of music, you know? And then all of a sudden the sex pistols hit. And all of a mm. sudden the Ramones hit. And then here I am, like hanging out with my friend Skate skate park, and they're like, check this out, the Dead Kennedys, um, TSOL, The Circle the Circle Jerks. Okay, the Circle <laughs> right, Jerks. Yeah. angry Samoans, you know, um uh, uh TSOL, Black Flag, and I'm like, Wow, this is cool. Now this is cool.
0: And you were you were like automatically attracted to like what in that music? Just the the aggression, um, the messaging, like I just
2: I think it was the aggression and the the uh, just how hardcore and rough around the edges it was, and it kind of really reminded me of skateboarding. Right. Because skateboarding back in the you know mid seventies or late seventies wasn't really respected, or you weren't mm. looked, you were looked down upon. You know, right. um, being a skateboarder. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the jocks at, at school hated us. You know, and even a lot of the punks in the punk oh. scene hated skaters too. Really,
0: really? Oh I yeah, think. huh?
2: Yeah, a lot of guys. Um, because in in San Jose, the punk scene, they were all like in the like GBH and Exploited and right. English oh. Dogs, and they were all like spiked out, charged and, like, up, and yeah, spiked hair, uh, leather jackets, and we're like skaters. You know, skate like Vans and torn jeans and T-shirts and and uh, so, you know, in the early 80s I was getting chased by jocks and punks and skinheads, wow. you know? And I'm like, shoot. Okay, we're we're like an outcast in ourselves, you know? And mm.
3: um and I was going think- to like
2: punk punk shows back then, you know, um I had never been to a concert yet. So my okay. very first um shows were like little gigs and there were punk local punk bands and and um you know, I went to those in San Francisco. I went to a lot of them in Santa Clara, uh, San Jose. Um, yeah,
0: so. And how are you getting around? You know, I'm, I'm East Coast, like from, you know, the New York City area. So I always wonder when I hear these stories and I know you're underage and I know there's no version of public transportation where you live or uh-huh. some version, but like <laughs> not always a useful one. Like, how are you getting around to all
2: this stuff? Well, my friend who, um, used to skate with me at the skate park named Gavin O'Brien and his brother, Corey, um, they had, he had a 69 Camaro. Oh, nice. So we would, we would go in his Camaro and we called it the, it was orange. So we called it the orange bomb and he would drive, (laughs) um, to, to gigs in San Francisco, um, all over San Jose, the Bay area. And I ended up starting a band with Gavin, um, And we, and we, and we, we, it was actually a couple guys from the skate park. I teamed up with them and found out some of them um, could play guitar. Some guys could play drums. Um, I I picked up a bass and I started learning how to play and um, you know, and that's when I found uh, Gavin who skated with me and said, Hey, Gavin, you want to try out singing? He's like, yeah, I'll try it out. And you know, it worked, just worked out. So 1982, we formed a band and we called it the Faction.
0: Wow, that's crazy! Yeah. I have this kind of dusty, perfect, like dazed and confused image of your crew in like the late '70s, rolling around in a orange '69 Camaro, going to punk shows.
2: <laughs> Pretty iconic looking in my head, you know. Well, it was actually more like '80, '80, '81, '81. We were, we were, we were, we were driving in, in the orange bomb, and we were like the, the skate parks had already closed by then right and we we're looking for skate spots, empty pools, ditches and during the day and going to punk shows at night.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I was, you know, you know, looking back um, you know, doing for for this interview and I see some of these images of you as a you know, young kid like it looks like you're 15, 16 and you know, starting to get into the competition scene and um and it just makes me wonder, like how at that age, like how are you getting the competitions and getting boards like for you was it all rogue, um or did you have like supportive parents who were into into your endeavors
2: um my parents were super supportive um, cool. my mom would drive me to the skate park, pick me up um I would take the bus sometimes if I had to take a a, a greyhound bus to um LA, my dad would take me to the bus station, pick me up. If I had to get a flight, you know, I didn't start flying until I got sponsored by by Pau Peralta right. uh, in 1979. Um, but before that, you know, I was part of a skateboard park team called Campbell Skate Park in 78 and 79. Oh, the, actual, was, park,
0: the actual park sponsored you guys.
2: Yeah, because there, uh, back in the late 70s, there was a bunch of skateboard parks that were built um, by a bunch of investors and they thought that skateboarding was the next big thing. And, um, so a lot of people in the Bay area, a lot of doctors and lawyers and, and construction guys, uh, all pitched in money and, 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 and try to bank off this new skateboarding phase and build skate parks. And it just crashed. It just it didn't pan out. It, the, the land actually ended up being worth more than how many people um, actually bought memberships and skated. Wow.
0: Uh, so no. yeah, how are they actually monetizing
2: it? Like private memberships to go skate there? We well, had to get a membership first, a yearly membership, and then you had to pay hourly, and it wasn't uh, cheap. You know, it was like a dollar seventy-five an hour. Oh wow. You know, back in the seventy-seven, seventy-eight, and yeah. memberships were probably like thirty to fifty dollars a year. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I was thirteen, fourteen years old, and no job, going to school. Um, you know, so it wasn't until I was fifteen years old when I got sponsored by by or fourteen, I got sponsored by PAL. Then they started flowing me products, and I didn't have to pay for products anymore, skateboard mm. equipment, and they also started paying for my skate time at the at the skate park. Oh, so okay. You know, I started learning the, the 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 um the the role of being a sponsored skateboarder and yeah. working with somebody, you know, um and then in 1980 I turned pro and released a signature deck and by that time I was already pretty famous in the skateboard magazines because of all the promotion that Pal Peralta had put into me as an amateur right. that my board was selling. So by by the time I turned 15, I was a sophomore. I was making money off selling a signature skateboard. That's where I started to actually make more money than my mom. And I started putting it in the bank. And as the years went on, the, the the board sales grew. Skateboarding grew. We started making videos because the only access to skateboarding was magazines. And when the video age came out, um, Pal Peralta went with it and we started making videos right. to share with people, to sell at skate shops. And so people could see skateboarding on television. And prior to that, it was all print. It was all print magazine. I mean, that's why the US, that's why California was so ahead of Europe and Asia and all these other countries, because these skateboarders that were in these other countries didn't know what we were doing until like six months later after they got mm, the magazine right and we were already on to something else huh. so until the video age came and we started making videos and started sending them overseas that's when you started seeing them pick up and progress faster because they could visually see what we were doing Sure, must have blown people's minds at first <laughs> it, it it did you know yeah. and like for me i learned a lot of tricks by looking at sequences in a magazine like a photo right. sequence, right You know, and that's, that was my way of like creating, you know, tricks and learning, relearning tricks that were already invented. And at that time we were in a, at a, at a, at a a time where skateboarding was really young, there wasn't that many skateboard tricks. Right. And we started inventing our own tricks. You know, we started being creative in that, in that sense. And, uh, and that's how you got known. That's how you got ahead of someone else that's how you placed well in a contest was you brought something new to the table. Mm -hmm. So I had this mindset as a professional skateboarder that every contest, I need to bring something new to the table. If I want to place higher,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and uh, that was my mentality. And I'm glad I learned that at a a very young age because it really helped me push skate, my skateboarding and my professional career. And it's taught me to use that formula with art it's taught me to use that formula with music. It's like, you're, you're just as good as your last CD. You're just as good as your last contest. Mm. You're just as good as your last art piece. Push yourself. Do something better. Interesting. You know?
0: Satisfaction is the death of desire, as Hayes
2: <laughs> would say. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, don't, don't fall asleep because there's always someone hungry just yeah. like you. And I've always told people, it's easier to reach the top. The hardest part is staying there. Right. Sure. That's the hardest part. Do you think like
0: coming up the the way you did in that competition circuit kind of maybe framed your outlook for all the other things you do? Like do you do you see like music and art at all like competitively? Totally.
2: Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. The reason, and the only reason why I say that is because people are judging you left and right no matter what you sure. do. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. You know, they are judging you. You write a new song. They're like, mm, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I like it. No, I don't like it. You know, yeah. they, you're going to be critiqued by everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you wear. There's always someone that has an opinion about what you're about. Yeah. You know? So that could either shape you, form you or make you disappointed um, putting yourself out there. And if you learn to just take the opinions of people, you know, like a grain of salt and just do what you love, it doesn't matter if they like it or not. If you love what you do and you do it for lots of hours, eventually you're going to be successful at it, no matter how accepted it is or not. I mean, sure, I've been supporting my whole life and now look at it, it's in the Olympics. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that's actually,
0: that's, it's perfect. You just said that because what you were talking about, something I wanted to even discuss with you while I had you is, you know, I'm watching skateboarding in the Olympics and I'm, you know, seeing this, you know, super competitive series. That's obviously, uh, you know, the, the scoring and technique is, is such a, you know, step, I don't know above or to the side of where the contest used to be. Um, like like what do you think of when you see this the skateboarding in the Olympics like are is it just full pride that the the sport you love so much is on such a big stage or do you have any opinions or thoughts about like the way it's being uh carried over and like presented in that world Um
2: I accept it with open arms, you know. Um yeah. I've seen many ups and downs in skateboarding. I've seen it grow. I've seen it almost disappear. Yeah. Um, I've been on this roller coaster with this sport. And I, I have to finally say that we finally have arrived in a place where um, people are going to get what they deserve um, with all the hard work. Um, so I'm happy for the skateboarders now and what they're getting you know, I was there to pave it along the way. Yeah. Um, it, it's really cool to actually. I mean, I wasn't invited to the Olympics. I mean, I stayed home and tried to watch it on TV, which it was probably the worst, terrible um, programming and and display. Of. Uh, it was. They yeah. made it so difficult to watch. Huh. You know, it wasn't how like so, how,
0: how so just like the the way they were filming the, the actual skateboarders.
2: No, the way they were streaming it and the platforms they were allowing to watch it on. It's not like, oh, you
0: yeah, right. Turn yeah. on
2: Channel 7 and there's the Olympics.
0: No, no, you yeah. You know? Uh huh.
2: So that part, I think, lacked. Yeah. You know, I think I agree, it lacked yeah. um, the way you had to download. I mean, I kept getting kicked off of Apple TV. to You know, I was on like NBC Olympics and then I like, was watching it for a while. And all of a sudden, I get kicked off. I'm like, yeah, you're not <laughs> right. subscribed. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, okay, well, maybe it'll show up on YouTube, you know, and I'll get to watch it on YouTube. And and it was just that was the part I hated was how difficult it was to to get on a television and watch it. Yeah. Right. Um. But like I said, um, skateboarding Olympics is going to open doors even bigger for skateboarding, and I feel like. There's gonna be more attention to it. There's gonna be um, a lot of great opportunities. And what was cool was when the Olympics was on, I was getting all these text messages and they're like, dude, they're like saying your name (laughs) through the whole Olympics. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, half cab, this Caballero to this Uh, rail. And I'm like, awesome. And I'm like, that's so cool. You know, like, I'm not there, but I'm there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for (laughs) sure. Sure, um, half of them are wearing your kicks. Yeah, uh, you
2: know. So yeah, it's so it was it's an honor, you know, for something that I created in 1980, sure. invented this trick that transcends 40 years later, and people are calling it out. And you know, and pretty it, amazing. It, it is amazing. it's yeah. it, So I feel really blessed. I feel really flattered, honored to to have done that and have it be a mainstay in our sport and and it's a legacy that will that will live forever you know when i'm gone they're gonna still be saying my name yeah dude you're immortal
0: yeah it's pretty awesome (laughs) which
2: which, um yeah it's cool (laughs) (laughs)
0: now Um, i mean we're talking about like the you know the actual sport side of it um You know, but, you know, anyone who's really into skateboarding is usually attached to a kind of a a larger cultural element of skateboarding. And some of it, a lot of it has to do with what we talked about before, you know, subversion, right? Like it's always uh, always seemed like a place where, you know, the left of center kind of person can have a safe place to go go be weird, go be yourself. It's kind of always had that, that sort of spirit connected to music and, and interesting things. Like, that was one thing I was wondering what you thought. You know, I'm looking at these kids in the Olympics, and I'm like, they're obviously incredible skateboarders. I mean, technically, so far beyond, like, what people were doing 20 and 30. Like, it's, it's almost insane what they're doing. But I'm like, do these kids have that? Are they bringing in that like subversive cultural element to this like next generation of skateboarding? Do you think that's still in play?
2: I think there. I think that. I think there are. There's some that are. There's some that bring a lot of flavor to it, and and um, definitely a lot of people are inspired by these kids and look up to them. Um, so they're, they're 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 the representation of their generation, you know. I, I was a represent representation of my generation in the early eighties, you know, so they they're definitely carrying the torch and no doubt are they not are they blowing minds.
3: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
2: i mean look at punk rock i mean look for how far punk rock has come from when it started and you know it's just insane how you know it's accepted everywhere and like i feel like it's like that's arrived as well where it's not looked down upon you know and the style of music and and obviously you know um it's changed over the years. It's gotten a lot more melodic and and a lot, you know,
0: um, and I think my, that's what you know, scares me. Steve is like, I'm watching the VMAs last night. Right. Yeah. And I see this machine gun Kelly character. Like I could give, I don't give a shit about this person really, mm-hmm. but they're clearly like adopting, you know, this, what they deem to be emo and punk rock as far as their fashion and their music and they're, you know, pretending to be that to the mainstream. And I can't sit there and be like, oh my God, I hate seeing this. This is not fun for me to watch. This is so unauthentic. And I think the thing I worry about with the Olympics is someone who's just a real fucking square. You know what I mean? <laughs> Becoming yeah. like the face of skateboarding. Because they're just that good at it. Um yeah. which, you know and and is not like bringing uh you know any of that like subversive element like i get scared it gets too big without any of that coming over you know like i don't want someone to machine gun kelly skateboarding
2: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i don't know i meant uh (laughs) style style the style of skateboarding the style of fashion has changed a lot over the years Um, i
0: apologize if mgk is your boy
2: (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually like his music, to be honest. And you do? Okay. Yeah, I do. I like what him and Travis are doing. Okay. Um, I know catchy?
0: nothing about it. I'm talking shit without, with no real knowledge about what's actually happening
2: there. He, they've, they've read some songs, some good songs, you know, okay. catchy. All um, catchy. Right. Um, his look, I, 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 I don't think it's fake. I think it's real. I think it's something, he, how he wants to represent himself. You know, I, I think everybody that has a look, is real. I mean, hmm. you know, if you're going to go out there and 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 be that person, I mean, that's you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And and people change, you know? Sometimes um people want to stand out, you know? And um I mean, look at Marilyn Mans- Manson. I mean, that person tried really really hard to stand out. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That was that was actually that took work. <laughs> yeah, right. You know and there was, there was a purpose for that, you know, right. and that, and he succeeded, you know, yes. because he's so like out there yeah. and, and sometimes you gotta, you gotta do that, you know, um, in the eighties, you know, um, we all had our different looks, you know, um, right. I, I got a lot of, um, grief from my own sponsor because I was wearing like Misfits t-shirts, and Spider-Man and Batman and all these these punk bands. And I was wasn't wearing a lot of Powell Peralta t-shirts with my, you know, <laughs> my logos and their logos. And I'm like, I'm like, I get I go to this contest and Stacey Peralta comes up to me with a with a manila folder of Xerox copies. And he's like, What's this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Look at this cover. You're not wearing a POW shirt. Look at this <laughs> full page. You're not wearing our PAL sweats. I mean, look. I'm like, what? What's up with that? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's up? With that? That's my style. You're right. I mean, that's how I want to represent myself. Huh. So you know, even even I even you know felt that from my own sponsor. Sure. You know, you know, and I wasn't being fake. I was just this is how I wanted to represent myself. This is how I wanted to stand out. I didn't want to look like Tony Hawk. I didn't want to look like Mike McGill. I didn't want to right. look like you know um, guys that, that were just always wearing the sponsor's shirts, right? You know, I wanted sure. to look different, you know? Huh. So, um, I chose that, you know, and I got grief for it, but, you know, there's a lot of musicians that said, Hey, you know what? I saw pictures of you in the eighties in, 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 um, in the magazines and I saw you wearing a Misfits shirt and I never even heard of the misfits and I didn't even know anything about them.
0: Right. And then all of a
2: sudden, they're into music and they, you know, and because I was wearing a t-shirt. That's sick. Yeah. You know, and these are guys in big bands too. You know, you know, I heard, I heard you
0: were a positive guy and, and I'm, I'm much younger than you. And I'm embarrassed that I'm the self-righteous old man <laughs> in this exchange. It's <laughs> taken me, You've you've taken me down a peg. I'm eating crow right now. I shouldn't have talked that way about Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know anything about the guy. I probably just see him and I see someone who's like slim and handsome and younger than me. And I just have automatic jealousy. But you're right. Thank you Steve for, for talking <laughs> well, me off he, a self righteous ledge there. Hey, I appreciate it. Hey,
2: he's doing it. something right. He, he, he's he's fine. A- <laughs> like I should, he's fine. Why should I care, you know? <laughs> He's got an audience. I mean, yeah. Everyone's got an audience, you know. What yeah. I mean? No, and, you're you know, totally And that's right. fine. You you don't have to like them. I mean, that's fine. There's there's bands that I don't like, you know? There's, you know, I just don't like the, the, the style of music. So, um, you know, to each their own. I mean, that's what makes us individual, right?
0: Well, this is why I'm not fucking Travis Barker, you know? <laughs> this is why this is why he's getting those jobs. He's probably talking to Machine Gun Kelly, being like, Yeah, you're great, dude. Yeah. You're awesome. Let's jam. And I'd be like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, so who's going farther, you know? Um Well, besides that, you, you mentioned him quickly and I was just curious. What was the first time you met Tony Hawk? Was it out on like the the contest circuits or, or prior to that?
2: Um, well, actually, Stacey Peralta kind of scouted him out. He was a young amateur. Um, he's while younger. I was, Is he younger than you? He's three years younger than I am. Okay. So when I was already pro, he was in the amateur ranks. So Stacey, who was our, our team manager and our coach at the time, he was the one that was scouting out. Uh, skateboarders all over the place and trying to build this team called the bones brigade right and uh so when i turned pro he was looking for more amateurs and this is where he discovered tony hoth this little scrawny kid that was like amazing you know he couldn't he couldn't fly very high but he had very a lot of technical tricks and he looked very determined when he was skating i mean i don't know if you've seen the bones brigade documentary i yet. have yeah but you know, it kind of shows the story of like how he discovered Tony and um, he put Tony on the team. And you know, we were fine with that, you know. Um, we trusted, I mean, Stacy trusted in us, so uh, I wasn't gonna, you know, I really didn't actually have a say of who was on and who wasn't on the team. right. Uh, right, so um, just kind of went with the flow with everything and and Tony over the years, you know, he turning pro, he he surpassed us, you know, because of his passion. His drive. He definitely worked a lot harder than everybody else on the team, and he still works mm. hard to this day. Um, so, in your mind, it, is that is that the thing that
0: separates that guy? Is just a uh, work ethic? Like he's just got crazy work
2: ethic. That's what separates everybody. Is work right. with mm. work ethic. You know, I don't believe in natural talent. I believe that everyone has to work super hard at what they do. We mm. just don't see the work people put in. We only see the results. We don't, mm. We're not around people twenty four seven. We don't know what they think. We don't know what they drink. We don't know how many hours. We don't know. What the, we don't know the sacrifice that people put into things.
1: Mm.
2: So it's very easy to be like, "Oh, well, that guy's good at that because he's naturally talented." I, I call bull on that. Mm. You know, yeah. um, because fear fear plays a huge role in decision making and what we pick and choose what we want to be associated with or participate. And some people are just more courageous than others too. Right. So, you know, you got to put that in place too. So you take a guy that's very talented. That's a very courageous guy. That's a very, or a woman, you know, that's a very right. courageous woman. Um, because they have put themselves in a vulnerable place to be criticized. Um, you know, I learned a lot in skateboarding um you gotta fail to succeed that mm. that's the main thing that you learn in skateboarding is you fall, 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 fall some more, and then you make it. Mm. you know, and I feel like I've applied that to music, I played that to art, everything that I associate myself with you gotta put the hours in, and there's some people that just aren't patient they're not yeah. patient enough to put the hours in, and what I've learned. The definition of patience is, is long suffering. Hmm. That's a perfect definition of patience. And if you don't aren't willing to suffer for a long time, you're not gonna be good at anything.
0: Wow. That's intense. It's true. I saw I saw you uh in a different interview, you had an explanation on how not to get injured, where you said uh getting your mind in the right mindset and being very positive is one of the ways and I was Thinking for a second, I'm like, I, I don't exactly understand what one has to do with the other, but it was interesting. Is it more of like when you go into something with like a positive uh, mental attitude like that, it helps to succeed because you're not second guessing yourself. Is that the idea behind that?
2: It is, uh, especially okay. if you're in a handrail that's like more than like ten stairs, and you roll up to it, you you better. You better be prepared and you better right. not se- second guess it uh, when you're approaching it. Cause that's when you get hurt. Huh. You, you have to have full confidence of knowing what you're going to do, how you are going to execute the trick and see yourself rolling away? So you and have a full visualization before you're doing it. Always. Everything yeah. starts with a dream. Everything starts with a vision in life. Um, nothing that's been created. Hasn't started with a dream. Yeah, you know, hasn't thought hasn't started with a thought. You know, I invented this trick called the Caballero, which is a fakey three sixty ollie air, which had never been done. So I didn't have anything to like look at to be influenced or inspired by. I had to like imagine that in my head.
1: Hmm. And that's a lot what of things- blows my mind with with any of these kind of tricks. Is it, like the first time somebody does something like that. How the fuck did you? Th- like
2: how did you conceive of it or that it could be done you know well sometimes things happen by mistake right right you know and sometimes you 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 do an accident like you're trying to learn something and you and you, you make an accident like oh wait that kind of works right you know and i feel that's the same with art i feel that's the same with music like let's say you're playing something and you play a wrong chord you're like wait that actually sounds kind of cool yeah i was supposed to play this chord but I went and did this chord or I was supposed to hit a drum beat and I messed up, but no way that actually, I like that, you know? So, you know, um, when we talked about, when you talked about street skating and where street skating is now, um, a lot of that has to do with the Tony Hawk video game where Mm. in, in 99 and the year 2000, um, Activision approached Tony Hawk and, and created this game and these tricks that you could do on this game, you could only really do them with your hands and your fingers. Right. And you could like do multiple tricks by how fast your fingers were and how you use the uh, the controller. And I, no, I kid you not, the tricks that kids are doing now, I would have never imagined that I was doing these tricks with my fingers on a video game 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> and these kids don't know any better. They're like, what? what do you mean? Like, this isn't real. Like (laughs) you can't actually do this, you know? So it's kind of fun and innocent that the fact that these kids see the stuff on video games, imagine and like, well, that can be, that can be done. Right. And they try it. And sure enough. Wow. These kids are doing video game tricks now.
1: That's crazy.
0: I can 50, 50 grind on the bottom of this helicopter.
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, I mean it, it just goes as far as, you know, like as far back as the Wright brothers, like thinking right. like they can fly. I mean, you know, like, dude, you're are you crazy? Like you're gonna fly like a bird? Yeah, why
0: not? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh yeah, like okay. speaking of I now when Brad asked you that, like, is it the same in music where you know, um, yeah, you're say listening to oh, like I'm listening to a new Bad Religion record, and there's this great song, and I'm gonna sit down with my you know guitar and you know not write the same song, but come up with something that I'm inspired by this. Like, who yeah. were the who were the people who were like inspiring you to come up with new tricks? Like, who were you? Who were you vicking like your little pieces from to like come up with your own shit at that time?
2: Well, when I was an amateur, uh, there was a pro skateboarder at the time named Eddie Alguera. Okay. Who lived uh, near Colton Pipeline area. And uh, he was the top guy. And he was the guy that was um, pushing the limits of skateboarding progression. And he was on top because he was so adamant of progressing the sport that he would try these tricks that no one had ever done before. Hmm. So I didn't get... To to see them until I saw them in the magazines. Right. You know? And once I saw something in the magazine, I saw a sequence of it. I'm like, I'm going back to the skate park and I'm gonna learn this trick because I, it's a lot easier to see something to create something when you've seen it done already. Right. But To actually make something from nothing. It, it, it takes a lot of passion and drive and a positive mental attitude, like, like believing in yourself that you can do this, you know? Um, and that's 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 the power of the mind. The mind is very creative, and I feel like we are very creative beings. You know, that's why I believe in God because I believe that God created everything. I meant you cannot build something from nothing.
0: Hmm.
2: Something something had to design like a building. A building just doesn't pop up, right? Right. there's a designer behind this building to build this, this building. And that's what I feel like life is all about. Like there Mm. someone created all this because there's so much beauty and so much diversity in this world that it just doesn't happen from a big bang. You don't just bang out of nothing. And all of a sudden you got, you know, um, I'm doing a podcast with you. <laughs> you know what I mean.
1: You think this is a divine podcast? That's nice.
0: Hey, <laughs> If my divine path was to be a podcast host, all right. You know you you know, someone
2: someone thought it up. I mean, I mean, someone thought of a a, a a phone. Someone thought of a computer. Someone thought of something. You know, that's we're just we're we're we we're are the we're created in the image of God. We are creators. We're mm-hmm. capable of creating, thinking, uh, making things from not you know from just our mind, our thoughts, our dreams, our passions, you know. Um, so that you know that's where I'm at in life. That, that uh, I feel like there's a we have a purpose, and I feel like w- the, it's endless, endless possibilities. You 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 think you think that you're just a podcast guy? You're not you know you can be anything you can be anything that you want
0: to be oh no i don't think that i think i think people are all a very rich tapestry uh, myself no. included i do
2: no yeah and for me you know that's why i'm 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 into so many things because i believe that i'm capable of anything i put my heart and mind to you know i i don't even know myself I, there's stuff that i that i've never even discovered yet about myself mm. you know right because i haven't i haven't tapped into it yet so what's next i mean you've taken <laughs> on
0: who <laughs> you knows i mean you got something. a lot of stuff Guy, are you gonna be a pilot next are you gonna I, hot air
2: balloons if, like if i was passionate about flying i would become the best pilot there is
1: yeah nice <laughs>
2: you know what i'm saying and i feel like because i have that attitude everyone else does you know you can have that attitude if you believe in yourself I noticed you had a thing for uh evil can Is is this the, the reason you're drawn to him? Um, well, I mean he offered he offered something uh to people in the in the mid seventies that that were intrigued and inspired and just wowed over. Him. I mean he was flirting with death. You know he was doing something that no one had had ever done before, yeah, and was bringing some excitement um, you know obviously there's a da- there's an excitement to danger you know of like you can get hurt or you cannot get hurt, is he going to make it? is he not going to make it you know um there's a, there's a suspense, there's a thrill of suspense in that, you know, so anything that um, can cause pain or harm um uh, there, there's this, there's this part of you that, that says I'm attracted to that or I'm not attracted to that, mm. you know? Um, so, you know, it, it's just exciting. It's, well, it's, it's exciting. It's kind of like the <laughs>
1: oldest form of entertainment is hurting yourself, right? Like,
2: <laughs> well, no, <laughs> jumping i meant, off of high I places. Meant- I mean, I don't, I don't want to hurt myself.
1: No, but I'm saying that's why the people, you know, that's where the the excitement comes in. Is like,
2: is he going to hurt himself? You know? uh, Okay, it's like this. It's like this. So when I was a little kid, there was this huge tree that was at my neighbor's, and it's like I'm going to climb to the top of that. You know? And it's like, but if I really thought about it, if my mom saw me, she'd be like, "No, you're not." I'm like, "Why not?" She goes, "If you fall." You could break a bone or you could die. Right. But when you're a kid, you're like, you don't even think about that. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm climbing this tree. I don't care. And when I get to the top, I'm going to be cool because no one else did this. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So it starts at a very young age. We just, we are intrigued with, with, with danger. Do you think there's like
0: a, you know, I guess one of the far extremes I think about is, you know, the, the climber, um, Alex, I forget his name, but he's the free solo guy. You know, the one who's, uh, does the mountain climbing without ropes. Um, yeah. I didn't
2: get to see that movie. I, I heard lots about it. Free solo. So I, I definitely want to still see that movie, but it, I heard that's a great movie. Yeah. It's really cool. And it's
0: intense. You know, the actual physical aspect of what he's doing is cool, but You know, the interviews with him and his views about, you know, maybe how close to death you sort of are, if you are realistic about it on a day to day level. And, you know, that's what I was wondering uh, with the question is, like, what do you think is driving people to that? Is there like sort of a a almost divine, like spiritual experience that one has when you kind of push yourself to that limit, like do you get the same kind of feeling you get when you when you pray or when you get spiritual? does it take you to like the middle place
2: um i want to say it's um i want to say it's experience i I want to say it's like um so like let let me say with like skateboarding. There's no way that I could explain what it feels like to skateboard, because unless you do it, unless you go through all the hard work and the pain and the suffering, you will never understand what it feels like. Like, like for me, like I will never understand. I'm not going to say never. I can't understand what it feels like to surf big waves because i'm not there i haven't put the work into it but i know it must be an amazing feeling because people do it Mm. you know Mm -hmm. um uh so you know it it's it's that feeling of uh, gratification you get of like pushing yourself and and doing something that no one else has done and 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 believing in yourself and and accomplishing a goal uh for yourself um it, I, you, you, it's, you, you feel like you, there's a sense of purpose and a sense, a sense of like belonging um, that you have something to offer this world that means something to somebody. And in the, in the end, it's true. In the end, it's true. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how good you are at something. It's all about your heart and how you treat people and how you feel about people. And the best people are the best people with the most kindest, humblest hearts, and those are the people that are more attractive than someone who's rich and famous and who's an asshole. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? You know what I'm saying? Can yeah, I do that? I do. So, i've 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 had to deal with that as a person. Person myself is, I feel like I'm trying to be the best person I can in my heart, and that's why I gravitated towards a spirituality and Christianity because, uh, being sponsored by the best skateboard company or, or having the most money, is not going to teach me how to be a a good person and, and how to treat people, you know, the best way, you know, I, I can only learn from my parents or my peers, but, you know, they may be a bad influence. They may not be the best influence. You know, um, Mm. you're only as good as the, the people you hang out with, you know? Right. Um, but I've learned through reading scripture and reading the Bible that this is the this is the way that God wants us to be around people, and it's a very difficult road because the 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 heart is deceitful; it wants other things that are harmful towards us and other people. But we can't we're not, we're not wise enough to see the future. We're we're very short sighted as human beings. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is full of prophecies of people that have things have happened in the past that still happen today. So there's nothing new under the sun. Like that nothing right now will ever surprise me. Mm. I, I don't care if you feel like you know somebody, if they out of the ordinary, they do something that you don't that, that's out of the blue, like you're like, Oh my goodness, like I thought I knew that person. Like, no, it's just, you know, you're not capable of knowing anyone. Because the person that you meet, they're only going to allow so much information for you to know because they want to be looked at in a good light. But right. if you really know, if you can really see somebody's heart and what their thoughts are and what they've done in the past, I mean, man, you know, we've done a lot of terrible things that not we're not proud of. And people really, like, hold on to those things and they feel like, well, you're such a bad person because, like, 20 years ago you did this. And, like, <laughs> okay, that was 20 years ago. But, you know, you, people change. Yeah. People's hearts change. You know? So, we're very, as human beings, we're very judgmental, very critical, very, like, you know. Um, and that's the thing about fame and fortune. It's like you can work yourself way all the way to the top, right? And do all these great things. And then as soon as you say something wrong or do something wrong, they'll just chop you down. The same people who lift you up will smash you to the ground Uh in a second, in a second,
0: Uh
2: if they knew everything about you. And that's why it, it sucks to be a politician or something, because people are just out there to just dig up dirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, they'll yeah. like, you'll do all these great things, but then look what he did when he was 10.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Speaking of the past, I'm going to do a 360 here uh because we have a little segment on this uh podcast that to lighten the the mood a little bit sometimes, but <laughs> it's a little game. It's called Mystery Friend. <laughs> So I reached out and found a friend of yours and they told, you know, and asked them for a prompt about something, maybe something funny that happened to you in the past. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to, you're going to tell us the story or elaborate on it. And then you have to try to guess who told me the story.
2: (laughs) So this is a very old story.
1: Now, is this
2: music skateboarding or art?
1: Oh, well, I've got a little bit of, I've got a little bit of that but this is the first one has to do with your first girlfriend. Oh, okay. And her parents who uh I guess walked in on you
2: <laughs> in the act? Is this true? That was
1: That, was,
2: that was my girlfriend Denise. Uh and, <laughs> <laughs> and she she she's a love skipping school. She loved it. <laughs> And I had a little MB5 Honda MB550 that I would just. She'd call me up and she'd be like, "I'm not going to school today. <laughs> <laughs> parents are parents are at work. You want to come over?" And I'm like, "It's raining outside. I'm on a motorcycle. Okay, I'll be over in a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I. Just what what
0: age that. are we? What age are we talking here?
2: Well, I was 18. She okay. was 15 or 16. Okay, okay, so I' right now, if that happened now, I'd probably been thrown in jail.
0: Okay. yeah, 18 year old with a motorcycle, yeah yeah are <laughs> <laughs> toast, your toast buddy. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um so yeah, we're, we're, uh and she actually she act, this is what's hilarious about this. I'd never been with a with a woman before. She's the one that 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 that, that taught me. Uh, my sexuality, so uh-huh. I, I was a, a virgin at that time, okay, yeah, so being eighteen years old and a virgin and uh learning about sexuality, I mean it's a very exciting, you know and fun, yeah, and you're like, I, I want to do this a lot
1: uh-huh.
2: you know? <laughs> yeah yeah, and uh and she was willing, so speaking remember, of
0: passions we take on as young people, yeah
2: <laughs> and I just remember like we were you know. At her house, in her bed, and then all of a sudden, her parents walk in, and I'm running towards the closet naked, <laughs> yeah. you know? and I'm super, <laughs> super embarrassed, and I'm hiding in there, and then soon, finally, they leave, and they're like questioning her, like, "Who is that naked butt that just ran into the in the closet?" <laughs> oh no! That's your, is that your boyfriend, Steve? Like, like, they were like. They're like a, you know, kind of a, like, like hippie family and just uh. like, really like they, they, they liked me. They love, so, they loved so, me, so, so they were
0: breaking your balls.
2: Pretty much. They, 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 oh they just thought it was funny. And so what do you think? You're naked in the
0: closet. Just like, Oh my God. Like
2: I was shitting. I was, yeah. <laughs> shitting. I was like, Oh my goodness. And I, and I would eat dinner with them and, and they'd make me dinner all the time and
0: yeah. And I was like so embarrassed. Saying, and where your clo- like where your clothes at this point? Like
2: They're on the ground. They're, <laughs> they're, so, you didn't even pick up the evidence. You're, you're no, clearly in the like, closet. I'm, I'm, hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing someone scram, scramble and I'm like running running into like uh the closet, yeah. you know? Um Yeah. But, but I you know, guess
0: you was, don't have a lot of options at that point. It's either run into the closet or just Lay there and just be like, hey, what's up? You know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was 1982. Okay.
2: 1982. Yeah. Well, do you have any um, idea
1: who might have uh, clued me into that story?
2: Um. Well, shoot, I, well, Denise, that was my girlfriend at the time. It wasn't uh, her. <laughs> uh, was it Gavin, our
1: singer? It was Gavin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny it's
2: because. Funny Go ahead. He doesn't want to introduce me to her.
1: Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was Gavin, and he he had when I first asked him for a question, he gave me another one, which I'm gonna ask you anyway, because it's a good it's a good question, but it wasn't quite as juicy. It was juicy in a different way. It's a question yeah. about cheating, but not about sex. He said okay. that in the late 80s, early nineties, when he was at Santa Cruz, that you were actually Uh, a little bit upset with Powell and had come over and they made you a couple decks and that you were skating on Santa Cruz decks for a while, like kind of secretly, I guess. Is that true?
2: No, no, no. they, there was, there was a, there was like three times I had gotten upset through with my relationship with, with Powell. And one of them, one time I was talking to, uh, to Novak um, Rich Novak from Santa Cruz mm-hmm. to see if I could ride for Santa Cruz because I was just right. very unhappy with um and I think one of I think one of them was when the Stacy brought those xerox machine um, oh. um photos and giving me giving me crap about wearing uh, trying to bat sense bat. To
0: your misfits t-shirts
2: yeah and I'm like this is like pretty lame like you you're selling my deck my deck was like one of the best selling decks in in 87 88 I was, I was making 15 grand a month on wow. board sales, mm.
0: crazy. you know?
2: And so I was making $250,000 a year in 1987. Nice. And these guys are giving me crap about wearing a t-shirt.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, so I'm sure. like, I, I'm going to, I, I think I'll quit. If you're not happy with me, I'll quit. So I did uh, reach out to Santa Cruz. I reached out to Rich Novak and he directed me to Bob Denike. And I had um a conversation with him, like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's time for me to, to switch to a different team. But when I had a, a meeting with them, Santa Cruz didn't have an, an offer on the table that uh that I that I couldn't resist, you know. Um
1: Okay.
0: So I was wondering uh what you thought was the best era of skateboard graphics. And if you maybe had like a Mount Rushmore. Of like all time best deck artwork. Like, do you have an all time favorite or like a top four, like a Mount Rushmore?
2: Well, I mean, definitely, um, I, I I will have to say skateboard artists, and definitely um, Court Johnson from Pal Peralta. A lot of his graphics from the '80s were super popular. Uh, Jim Phillips from Santa Cruz. A lot of his his graphics were were pretty amazing in the '80s. Um, Those were I I would have to say those two were the strongest back in the day. Um, And a lot of stuff that Puss had drew for Zorlac. Those were those are timeless as well. Um, But if you look at um, skateboard history and you look at all the popular graphics at that time, the leading the leading guys were were Powell. Paul Peralta and Santa Cruz as far mm-hmm. as, far as um, the best the best artist out there. And
0: what when you through the years what were your personal favorites where you're like shit I got to get that board it just looks too cool?
2: Uh uh-huh. why did you collect skateboards at when I was growing up?
0: Yeah, you, know, you were was just riding
2: your own, right? Like at this when you were growing up? Pretty much I wasn't yeah. you know I didn't, I didn't really think that 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 people would want these things like 30 40 years later. Right. You know? if i would have known that i would have kept a lot of people's boards in I'm pristine sure. condition and i would have kept a lot of mine in you know um in pristine condition you know but i like i said i was sponsored i was riding them destroying them i didn't save anything you know so i didn't didn't really plan ahead i wasn't that wise you know if i had That's a right. if i had parents that were you know like a perfect example christian osoy his dad had a vision for Christian and he looked at Christian as someone who was special Mm. and that everything that he had was special. And he pumped Christian up, you know, like big time to where he kept every single board that Christian rode back in the eighties. So Christian has, he has a, a, a landmine of like, a treasure chest of all 80s decks that were, you know, shown in, 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 he's got a gold mine, like, wow. of boards from the 80s that he could sell for thousands and thousands of dollars because there's photographs of him writing these things in the magazines. Yeah. And he's got tons of them.
0: Wow. And, and what's the aftermarket for this stuff at this point? Like, what are what are some of these pristine, like, 80s decks going for? It? I mean, we're, we're in the um, thousands.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. It depends on, um, the skateboarder depends on the graphic depends on the rarity of the board, but I've seen him go um, from 5,000 to like $20,000 for just wow. the deck. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just really, it's just supply and demand. And sure. a lot of the guys who rode these decks when they were kids all have really good jobs now and have made a lot of money. And, and now I'm hearing these guys that have, made a bunch of money off Bitcoin and NFTs or have money to spare and just throwing money away that they're, that they're, they're bidding ridiculously on these, these boards just to have them.
0: Yeah. Apparently something switched in the pandemic because there's a, you know, I, you know, I heard the podcast where apparently the trading card market is at like an all time high, um, I know people who run record stores like, you know, resale for certain like records and use stuff is that a, it's almost as if, um, uh, people are transferring their, their idea of what assets are and finding these new and different ways to like collect assets and make money. And I, I bet the skateboard decks are, you know, part of that as well.
2: No, there are, there's a lot of uh, enthusiasts and, people that like I said grew up on this stuff and they want to be known as the person to have this one board you right. know? So it's it's really um, it's really t- to be honest with you it's all perspective like this stuff is worth nothing and it's worth tons of money to right.
1: it,
2: you know yep. and 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 that's where I'm gonna go back resorting to you know, my relationship with God and, 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 and showing me that all this stuff is just materialistic things that we're not taking with us when, when we die, you know? So, um, a lot of people, um, who own a lot of things don't actually own things. The things own them and they make, they either make or break a person and, um, you know, it's, it, what it comes down to is like a materialistic thing is just is that that's what it is it's it's nothing more nothing less and it and at one point this thing that you crave and you love means so much to you but the next person standing next to you could care less about that Sure. so what is it really worth something or is it worth I mean, a
0: lot things are only you know, worth what people value <laughs> you right. know like like that's the thing with all of this is uh, like I, I had a, an instance once where I was at an auction and I brought some of my band's records, you know, Gaslight Anthem records, nice and sealed. And, you know, these really nice looking pieces. I'm like, all right, these are going to go to the auction. The money will go to a decent place, blah, blah, blah. Before the night was out, there was 11 bids. On an R. Kelly gold disc Uh and zero bids on ours. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's just what people value. Right. Right. It's it's all perspective. And and, uh, I had some money on the R. Kelly one too. I got to be honest.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you want that piece in your house, don't you? Well, I have it. And and so many people are so uh, afraid to let go of things. It's like, you know, we're just borrowing these things. They're not, we don't really own them. It's like, let's let someone else enjoy it for a little bit. You know, it's like, it's like, I had these decks. Okay, for example, we'll go back to skateboarding. I had a lot of uh, my Team Rider's decks from the 80s just kind of in a closet. I just kept them because I'm like, I want one of one of each of the my teammates' boards. So I kept them from the 80s. You know, I, I had five decks that this collector wanted and they were just shoved in this closet, you know, mm-hmm. collecting dust. And this guy really want, wanted all five of these. And he said, I'll give you... for all those five decks. Wow. Like, what? And he's (laughs) like, Yeah, I'll I'll give you $13,000. And I'm like, And I wanted to buy this Harley Davidson that was that my friend was selling um, for $15. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I could take these five decks that are just in a closet collecting dust and I can have this 1944 flathead Harley that I can race on the beach with all these other. Uh, motorcycle enthusiasts and, and, and hot rodders um, by just letting someone else have these decks and have them uh, displayed on their wall to look at and be proud of. And I hear I have um, this killer vintage 1944 Harley Davidson bike that was in the war, Whoa. you know? And so, you know, it's all perspective, you know, it's just like, this guy wants these decks. I want this Harley Davidson. Let's make a trade. It's a fair deal. The
0: fair deal. That's awesome, man. Well,
2: yeah, you know, Steve,
0: we've kept you for a long time, man. I didn't realize how how long we kept you already. And uh this was fun. Thanks for talking to us. I really enjoyed well, yeah, picking your brain and thanks for uh you know, half inventing one of the things <laughs> I love so much. Uh I was a even though I was never great at skateboarding, I have a deep deep love for it and spent a good part of my childhood staring at you and your friends on video. I appreciate (laughs) it. it, You
2: know, it's thank you. Yeah, so I'm stoked. And uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys are great.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. We really appreciate your time, dude. It's, it's been a really fun interview.
2: Yeah. Have a great night. Thanks, Steve. You too. Thank you guys.
3: Selling a little or a lot. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Well, well, well. <laughs> A lot of big uh, subjects there. We got into
0: it. Yes, indeed. We go off track here and it's a safe place for everyone. Yes, indeed it is. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, oh, but I liked, um, a lot of what Steve was talking about. Like, uh, I like the discipline. I like when people talk about, you know, not only the, the talent, but the discipline and how the, you know the people who make it to the the step above are the ones who usually just have this. You do
1: not fantastic become,
0: work ethic. You, you know? do not
1: become an immortal skater without having crazy discipline. There's no. no way. There's no fucking way. You have tricks named after you that people are doing forty years later. You gotta be. You gotta have a lot of discipline.
0: <laughs> but like, let me so. But the greats, like the great greats. Are the people who come around that have like the unique blend of both, right?
1: Well, yeah, you have to have both. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's
0: not like Tony Hawk and some other guy were just on a totally equal playing field, and then Tony Hawk just worked harder. Like, he was uniquely talented then. Coupled it with the work ethic, right? Like
1: yes, that's, but that's my, when you
0: get the the superstars. Yes,
1: exactly. But my point has always been, and mainly to my kids, to get them to work harder, <laughs> is that I guarantee that there is there was a Tony Hawk or a Steve Caballero who had a little bit more talent than either one mm. of those guys. Who's oh, not right. Who's not in the lexicon because. They just didn't go that, take that extra, like that those many, 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 many extra steps of just busting their ass to, to be better. A thousand
0: percent. There's always those weird variables, right? Or even the people, you know, it's something I wish, I wished when I was younger was not a part of music and entertainment. But, you know, the more and more years I spend in it, it's pretty obvious it is. But this idea of even how you're presenting yourself yeah, and your yeah. aesthetic. And, you know, even Steve back in the day, you know, is rocking his own T-shirts yeah, and just doing things a little bit different to like, you know, stand out and create his own aesthetic. So it's like, it's like this mix of variables, you know, you, you would like to think that the people who get to the upper echelons of these things do it out of this sheer primal stomach gurgling urge that just comes from within this divine spirit that's sent to them. But people more likely than not are sitting in their rooms coming up with what they want to be and then just doing it. Right. And that's like part of it, you know? Um, I don't know. Like how many bands sounded like Kiss.
3: Uh
1: I don't know. A bunch, right? <laughs> Maybe. It's funny you should ask because I'm actually reading this book which I don't want I don't know if I want to prop it cuz it's not turning out as good as I thought it would be, but it's Okay. It's actually it's I almost brought it up because he when he said like what three bands he was listening to, he said Ace, what did he say? A-, no, he A-T-D-C, said A-T-D-C, Cheap Trick and uh Aerosmith. Right. So this book that I'm reading now is actually about Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Kiss, and this band, Stars. Uh-huh. And they were all connected via like management and producers, like really closely. And they all had kind of the same kind of push and the same, but nobody knows who Stars is. Yeah. And I went back and listened to Stars, and Stars is the only band that I could think of that kind of sounded like Kiss. I don't think, I've never heard a band that sounded like Kiss. Like, when oh, really? I was 12 years old and I heard Kiss, that changed my world because, like, I, there was nobody with that big, crunchy guitar sound. Stars actually sounds a little bit harder. Interesting. But it, Yeah, it wasn't until the fucking Sex Pistols that you had these, like, crunchy guitars, dude. Like, it just wow. didn't happen. It what didn't exist in the 70s. It was, like you said, fucking Steely Dan and fucking <laughs> Foreigner, dude. <laughs> Man, I have
0: been put in my place by you old bastards twice <laughs> on this podcast. You know? Steve took me down a notch with Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> I was going to make the point that the only reason Kiss was famous was because, you know, they dress their drummer up like a space cat but uh apparently they were actually a,
1: a novel band well i gotta say there was a good quote in here about kiss that was kiss was smart people making dumb songs for smart people
0: <laughs> smart people making dumb songs for smart yeah. people okay. and for dumb
1: people as well but and yeah. that was like a that really sounds like
0: some point. version of just pop music right yeah, there. yeah that's true Well, no, I guess I shouldn't say the pop music audience is all smart. I wouldn't say the KISS listening audience is all smart either. Most of them are not. (laughs) Yeah, I might debate that quote. I might. To advertise, the coolest I ever felt was my friend's older brother had a communion party. That's what it's called, right? You Christians do when you're like 15 or 16?
1: Uh, I'm going to say, okay. I've never been to one. I I think something like that. All I
0: remember is I ate the ear of a pig. Um, but this is a
1: Catholic uh, thing, I, I would suppose. This
0: guy was a big Kiss fan, you know, and my mom was this, like, you know, nerdy record collector and stuff. And she randomly, for some reason, had like a whole thing of sealed Kiss playing cards. <laughs> and I showed, I'm like, oh, can I have a few to give to this guy for his communion? I got to say I was like the coolest dude at the party for bringing kiss trading cards. So big ups to me. Um but thanks to Steve for for coming on this. Uh, yeah, thanks Steven. And check out uh check out Urethane, the new band. The record's good, the songs are cool. Listen to a lot of it today. It's catchy you stuff.
1: I got to yeah. check it. I got to check group, it. Good
0: group, fun video like uh yeah, nothing wrong with it. It's like what I what I would want to hear from Southern California punk rock. It's good, you know? So I'm sure we'll be seeing more of it.
1: Yeah, you can keep up with all of that at Steve Caballero. The record's out on September 24th officially.
0: And uh give give us a, like a review or uh some stars <laughs> on the iTunes. We have the Patreon. We've been a little slow last month with Brad Jet setting around doing whatever you do out there
1: saving the world man i'm an avenger
0: but you know now we're back we're grounded our children must be in school yeah so we will be more active on the patreon providing more content and uh i want everybody to to love everybody this week you know
1: do that